It's Tuesday, January 23rd, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynes, it's uh, Hall of Fame Day. The uh, class of 2024 will be announced as elected by the Baseball Writers Association of America. Uh, later on today, we'll get into uh, your ballot and uh, some discussion about uh, some some more Cleveland players who we think should uh, should garner consideration for the Hall uh, in a little bit. Uh, but first, let's uh, let's go through some uh, some news and notes of the day uh, before we get to the Hall of Fame stuff. Uh, one uh, particular item that we uh, we missed, uh, we skipped over on uh, Monday when we talked about our wrap up from uh, Guards Fest was well, we were talking to Josh Naylor. Uh, you asked Josh Naylor about uh, the possibility of a contract extension, and uh, the the response was uh, was a little bit surprising. Yeah, he, uh, you know, Josh uh, took, to, I guess, took the politically correct uh, route and said, you know, I'm going to leave that up to, uh, you know, the front office. Uh, so he kind of deflected that question back to the front office. You know, I, I asked the front office uh, for a response. I haven't got one yet. <laughs> but uh, I would think, um, you know, it, it sounded, he certainly didn't uh, turn down, you know, he, he didn't poo-poo the, uh, you know, the suggestion, I, I really think uh, Josh would be open to an extension. I think he loves Cleveland. I think he really likes playing with his brother, Bo. And uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see if Cleveland approaches this, which they usually do in spring training. And, uh, you know, if an extension is agreed upon, it's usually, you know, surfaces toward the end of camp. Yeah, maybe tear up the uh, the, the six point uh what two five million that he he agreed to for in, in to settle out uh with uh, avoid arbitration uh this year uh maybe you know make the contract something along the lines of you know three to four year extension maybe uh, or maybe even beyond that but uh you're looking to to make it at least cover the time that uh the guardians would have control over Bo because uh you know what uh, Naylor's in his second year of arbitration right now he, he would have one more year of team control uh, next year and then and then free agency so uh you you've got to sort of look at it at, in, in terms of not just Josh but you know how long uh they have control over Bo and and what uh, uh, like the length of a contract extension might look like uh before you get into any sort of dollars and cents yeah you know Bo is just a baby he uh, he doesn't even have a full year in the big leagues Josh has two more years left before he becomes a free agent you know, so if you would have, if you would extend him, you've got to buy at least one or two years of free agency, I would think. And then, yeah. you know, maybe there's a club option after that or a, a mutual option after that. So, uh, you know, it's something to look for, you know, keep an eye on. Uh, the Guardians always try to uh, extend guys. And, and, uh, you know, usually I would think if a guy, if a player is, you know, this close to free agency two years away, you know, there, it's going to be really, really tough to uh, get him to sign an extension. But there are, you know, there are extenuating circumstances here with uh, his brother, Bo, and I think they'd like to continue playing together. So it really an interesting situation to, to keep an eye on, Joe. Yeah, and, you know, we asked Stephen Vogt about uh, adding power to the lineup or what the where uh, where the power is going to come from in the lineup. And, and Stephen Vogt's immediate response was, uh, you know, it's Josh Naylor. That's that's where you know those those big at bats are going to come from. Uh, so so we know how much 
not just the organization values, Josh, but, you know, how much a new manager and a, a guy who is is sort of uh, scrimping and scraping for every home run, every RBI, every extra base hit that he can find. Um, that's uh, that's Josh Naylor. You want that guy in your lineup and you want to have that uh, that that reassurance that he's going to be around and, and be comfortable for the next couple of years. So uh, I'm sure if you want to send a message to Stephen Vogt, maybe try to lock up Josh Naylor as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, you look at uh, this, uh, this lineup and uh, you know, as we, as we both know, and as everyone else knows who follows this team, they are, you know, they are challenged offensively. Uh, and you have right now, you've got like maybe two or maybe three power sources, uh, Jose Ramirez, Josh Naylor, and Andres Jimenez, and you know Bo Naylor is is you know promising. He hit what ten home runs after the All Star break, but we still haven't seen him you know over the course of a full season what he can do. But those three guys, Ramirez, Josh Naylor, and Jimenez are you know those are the key to this offense. And the more you can keep them in the offense, you know year you know not only day to day but year to year. The, the the more you can improve that offense, I think. So it's it's uh you know that's a critical uh it's this is a big this is a big decision for this organization. Yeah, and and it, there's other sources of power in the uh, in the organization, but right now, like you said, they're they're inexperienced. They're they're young guys. You know, you, you can't you can't look at Estevan Florial's 28 home runs at AAA or you know Davison De Los Santos and the potential that he has and, and think. Oh well, they'll just fit right in and they'll hit from the jump. I mean, there's there's going to be a learning process there. Well, with with Josh Naylor, you know, he's already you know on the backside of that learning process. He's figured a lot of things out, uh, and this is a piece that you want to hold on to uh, if if you're if you're Cleveland moving forward, and hopefully that can happen. Uh, all right, some other news and notes from around uh, the league. The Dodgers uh, continue to spend money. They uh, they add James Paxton, uh, and uh, you know this is a guy who. Uh, you know, when he's healthy and when he's able to to, to get out there, he's, he he can be effective. Uh, he's going to add depth to their uh, their starting rotation, which is really maybe the only area that that they could continue to add uh, pieces to. Yeah, Joe. I mean, uh, what one year, twelve million dollars, uh, and Paxton. Um, you know, when he's healthy, he's he's a great. He you know he is really a good addition to any rotation. But he has not been healthy the last couple of years. You know, with Boston, uh, he opened last season with a hamstring injury, but he still managed to go seven and five, four point five zero ERA, nineteen starts. But you know, you look at that Dodger rotation, and uh, they keep adding bodies. And the reason it is, Joe, because they have to. They've got a lot. They've got some, you know, injury questions in that rotation. Yeah, could you see this? Uh... This Dodgers team losing games, you know, like 13 to 12 or something like, you know, just because, you know, they can hit home runs. They can they can drive in runs. They can score a ton of runs. This this lineup is is unmatched right now in the league. Uh, But uh, if the rotation falls apart, if the rotation isn't there, uh, they're going to have some problems. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, this is a team we're talking about a team that wins, what, 100 games a year. So, uh, you know, one way or the other, they're going to figure it out. But. 
you know, Walker Bueller is coming off Tommy John. Uh, Otani can't pitch next season because of his of because of an elbow injury. Injury. Tyler Glass now what pitched a career high 120 innings last season, I believe. He's you know been injury dogged by injuries throughout his career. So this is a this is a team that has unlimited resources, and they keep adding to it. And uh, I think there's a reason they do that because they they have a you know they're, they're, they have some concern about that rotation and the depth of the rotation. Well, speaking of teams that seem to have unlimited resources and continue to add as well, uh, the Astros uh, give out a, a big contract. What uh, five years, uh, ninety-five million dollars to uh, Josh Hader uh, to be their closer now. Yeah, Josh Hader, and it's going. How do you with uh, Presley and, and Hader, Joe? How how are you going to work that? How do you work the eighth and ninth Boy, inning? Well, what a what a tough problem to have. What a you know two two of the best back end bullpen guys in the league, and and you know one from each side. I, I guess uh, uh, do you name a uh, a, a number one uh, closer or a one A? Uh, I don't know. I I, I think uh, you know Hader's Hader's done it, and but so is Presley. Presley has the numbers in the you know, the, the prestige, I, I think, uh, you know, maybe you go with uh, Hader as a setup guy. Cause he's, he's filled that role in his career before. And you could, uh, you know, you could go back to the 2016 Indians, uh, how they used Andrew Miller kind of, mm-hmm. you know, as, as wherever the, there was a truck, wherever they found trouble from the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, they used Miller. And then you had Brian Shaw and, and Cody, Cody, uh, Cody Allen behind them. So uh, it's, it's really going to be, fun to see what Jose Espada first year manager in of uh, the Astros how he does that he's going to have a an embarrassment of riches but you've got to keep both guys happy too yeah well and you better score your runs uh before the seventh inning uh, against uh the Astros this year otherwise uh it's going to be hard to score after that uh against these guys with with Hader and with Presley back there uh speaking of uh premium back end uh relievers uh, Aroldis Chapman, uh, Cleveland nemesis, uh, signs a one-year deal, ten million, uh, ten million plus, uh, to to pitch for the Pirates. Uh, my suspicion, Hoinsey, is that Chapman will not finish the season on the Pirates roster. Yeah, you, uh, he's he's become he's entered the hired gun gun phase of his career, Joe. Uh, he did this with Kansas City last year and ended up winning a World Series uh, title with uh, Texas. Uh, now he's uh, taken his uh, taken his act to uh, Pittsburgh, and we'll see how long he lasts there. But that's going to be another really interesting, uh, you know, back into the bullpen situation. You've got David Bednar, kind of an established closer with the Pirates. Now you've got Araldus Chapman, uh, you know, in the setup role or slash closer role. So you know that's kind of a good one-two punch. I mean, and and this is where you can see the the pirates maybe spending a little bit of money uh, makes makes sense because that ten million dollars they're spending on Chapman, they're betting on it being you know coming back to them in prospects at some point uh, when they trade him away at the trade deadline to a contender uh, and and you know hold him ransom for uh, some team's you know number six overall prospect or something like that. Oh, that's the way you do business, and you know. The, the the Pirates are getting better. They had what? They started the year with two, you know, started in uh, March and April. I mean, April and May, they were, you know, they were very good. They were a contender last year. So this, uh, you know, just kind of gives them a boost and, uh, you know, helps them, uh, 
you know, helps that young team kind of learn how to win. And you've got, uh, you've got the arms at the end of the bullpen to protect any leads that they do have going into the late innings. Yeah. And they've got some young, exciting infielders out there. Um, uh, Brian Hayes is, is one of the, uh, one of the best third basemen, uh, not just in the national league, but in baseball. Uh, so just, uh, you know, keep an eye on, on, uh, the pirates, maybe they're, they're starting to build something there, but, uh, Again, I think Chapman Chapman only needs what the Brewers and the uh, the Cardinals to to fill out, uh, having played for every team in the National League uh, uh, Central Division. So, you know, maybe uh, maybe one of those, if they're contending, would be open to trading for uh, uh, for the the big left hander. All right, uh, one last uh, item I wanted to bring up, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, uh, Hoinsey, uh, a little bit outspoken. Uh, Anthony Rendon comes out uh, the. Um, third baseman, uh, power hitting third baseman for the Angels, uh, who signed a seven-year, $245 million contract uh, in uh, heading after the uh, uh, Nationals won the uh, 2019 World Series. Uh, Rendon goes to Los Angeles uh, on the big contract, and you know he uh, injuries have, have followed him. He's he's really uh, struggled to stay on the field. Uh, what do you think Rendon came out and said on social media? He said, uh, we've got to shorten the season. The season is too dang long. Uh, the, he, he wants to see the, the number of games reduced. Uh, Anthony Rendon, a guy who's averaged 49 games a season uh, since uh, 2020, uh, has, uh, has come out in favor of a shorter season. What do you think about that, Hoinsey? <laughs> Joe, I think he wants to go back to the COVID, 2020 COVID season, the 60-game sprint. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I can see why he wants the season shortened. Uh, you know, you've got to post up in baseball, and he's had a hard time doing that, you know, because of injuries. And the the Angels uh, have kind of been snake bit with that contract. Uh, you know, the, the thing is, I, I kind of agree with Anthony Rendon. I'd like to see the season go back to maybe like 154 game, uh, you know, season like they used to play uh, that that would be, you know, you take a week or so off the season and, uh, you know, maybe you don't run into as many weather problems in a few of the cities and that kind of thing. But uh, Anthony Rendon is not the ambassador. He is not the the guy you want carrying that message. It really sounds bad coming from Anthony Rendon, who can't seem to stay on the field for more than 40 games in a year, uh, even though it's a, a message that maybe some people need to hear. Yeah, well, they've talked about this for a long time, Joe. They've kicked it back and forth, players' association, owners. I just don't think the owners would ever go back to 154 games because it would cost them too much money. Yeah, and and that's that's really it, it, you look at the NFL adding games to seasons and 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 how much of a, uh, a you know a, a pain that is and and uh, you know a fight with the players association there uh, to to give up that revenue the the owners uh, the owners hold all the, the all the cards there they hold all the power so uh, yeah I, I don't see it happening but again uh, pick a better spokesperson than Anthony Rendon I guess is is the message that we need to send there. Uh, hey, uh, speaking of sending messages, we send messages every day on uh, uh, Guardian Subtext. It's uh, the best way to, uh, you know, get the latest information on the Guardians uh, roster moves, uh, everything going on with the team. Um, it's a uh, it's a three ninety nine a month to subscribe. You can go on Cleveland.com/slash/subtext or send a text message 
to 216-208-4346. Uh, we'll send you back a text message to uh, with, with links to, to get uh, started there. And we'd love to hear from all of you guys, really, um, because uh, interacting with our subtext subscribers has been uh, has, has been really great over the last couple of weeks here, Hoinsey, uh, especially seeing some of them at GuardFest. Yeah, that was fun, and we always we always get great ideas from our subtext uh, subscribers, Joe. They you know they make you think, they they show you they're kind of one sometimes one or two or three or maybe even four moves ahead of me for sure. That you know they they're they're serious baseball fans, and it's fun interacting with them. Um, yeah, and uh, hey, also um, not just uh, our our podcast here, our, our baseball talk podcast, but if. If you're a big fan of uh, food and drink, um, you know, we've got a, a new podcast from Cleveland.com uh, that's that's out. And uh, it, it's actually a lot of fun to listen to. Uh, Dining and Drinking in Cleveland, uh, hosted by Josh Duke and Alex Darris. Uh, they um, th- they talk about all sorts of things, they, beer, um, barbecue, all sorts of different angles about the food scene in Cleveland. Uh, they're joined by, uh, you know, experts like Mark Bona, Paris Wolf, uh, Peachy Carey, and they talk pop culture, all sorts of fun things. Uh, it's called Dine Drink CLE, and you can find it anywhere you download your podcasts. So uh, after you're done listening to the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast, uh, go over and get your food and drink on uh, and listen to Dine Drink CLE, uh, available wherever you find uh, all your podcasts. All right, Hoinsey, uh, again, we touched on it in the opening. But uh, today is uh, Hall of Fame Day. Uh, at some point today, uh, uh, actually, it looks like a bunch of guys are going to find out whether or not they made it into Cooperstown. Um, this is uh, this is a really unique year, I think. Uh, it looks like there could be as many as four guys elected, uh, the way things are tracking right now. Gary Sheffield, very close, could be the fifth guy. Uh, you know, it, it, we're looking at uh, Adrian um, Adrian Beltre, uh, Joe Maurer. Todd Helton and Billy Wagner, who right now, according to the uh, the tracker by, that's produced by Ryan Thibodeau, um, it looks like those four guys could be in. Uh, what do you think of the idea of four new members elected by the uh, the writers this year? Yeah, I love it, Joe. I love it. I think uh, you know I'm I'm not a fan of, uh, of an expanded hall, but I think you know there are times when some very good ball players get lost. Lo- that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame kind of get get left off with because it is a hard hard process. It's a tough process to get 75 percent of the of uh, the vote from you know between what 380 to 400 uh, voters. Um, you know, so um, you know I'm 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 this is this is exciting this, because you know last year only the the writers only voted Scott Rowland in one guy. So uh, you know this would be I I would I would be happy if 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 uh, you know a four man class five man class uh, was elected uh, uh, today. Do you think that uh, the voting process and the voters and the the voting electorate um, that their their perceptions and their ideas are, and their, and what they value are changing a little more uh, because, you know, it used to be, uh, you know, the old school guys, the old timers and, and everybody, it, it was like they were voting to try and keep guys out of the Hall of Fame. It was like you looked at the ballot and you said, well, that guy's not a Hall of Famer and that guy's not a Hall of Famer. And you, you, you ta- tailored your votes to sort of keep guys you didn't think deserved to be in out. Nowadays, I think it's more, the you know, the, the younger voters, I think, 
are trying to put as many guys in as they can. It looks like, you know, if you're on the ballot, all the guys on the ballot are deserving in, in one way or another. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. But, you know, it looks like it, the, the, just the trends make it seem like you're trying to vote guys in instead of keep guys out. Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot more information, Joe. There's a lot more ways of, uh, you know, evaluating a player's career. You know, you can go old school. You can use analytics. You can use StatCast. Uh, so I think that's expanded, uh, you know, the the background checks basically that, that, that uh, writers can do on players. It's just not, is this guy a Hall of Famer or not? It's, it, it's just not, does he pass the eye test? Well, mm-hmm. like you said, Joe, most of these guys on the ballot pass the eye test. Uh, or they wouldn't have be, they wouldn't be there. It's an honor just to get on the ballot. But, uh, you know, so I think, you know, that goes into it. And, you know, there's still a lot of uh, a lot of voters that uh, believe believe, you know, if you say a guy's name, is he a Hall of Famer or not? And it, he said, OK, he's a Hall of Famer. Is, uh, you know, is Joe DiMaggio a Hall of Famer? And, and, and it, the, the immediate answer is yes. But, you know, so there's there's a school of thought that only those there's from, from some voters that only those kind of guys get in. Only the can't miss guys get in. But, you know, now we've seen with the expanded information that, you know, there, there's other guys that kind of go under the radar that deserve consideration. Yeah, I, I, I guess that's that's really the uh, the question there is. You know, is it a, a Hall of Fame or a, a Hall of, you know, you know, the the very good or, or, or that kind of thing? Uh, and and I can understand why some of the old school guys want to want to keep it sort of close and keep it, uh, you know, a, a little bit harder to get in. But uh, again, you look at you look at the Hall of Fame in football, and they're electing, you know, six, seven, eight guys uh, a, a year, and that, that that Hall of Fame induction ceremony goes on for you know, eight hours or, or whatever in the, in the sun in August. Um, I, I, I just think there are guys, do you think we make a big enough deal about just being on the ballot? How much of an honor that even is, if you're able to be on the ballot for, for more than a year or so, do you think guy, the rules about how long a guy stays on the ballot should be changed? Should you be on for a, a minimum of three years uh, before you can fall off the ballot, just so that guys have a a longer time to to sort of process it and and, and take in, uh, you know, who you are. Well, you know, the the, uh, the stay on the ballot was reduced from 15 to 10 years, you know, several years ago. So now you you you're only on there for five, you know, for 10 years, but you have to each year you've got to get receive at least five percent of the vote to stay on there. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, I think that's I think that's pretty fair arrangement, Joe. Yeah, I I, I guess. But again, I look at Kenny Lofton as the, the prime example of a guy who got lost in the shuffle and and, you know, fell off the ballot after one year. And I, I, I don't want to see that happen uh, to another deserving player as well. You know, speaking of uh, Kenny Lofton, uh, we had a, a conversation at the end of uh, or actually uh, just the other day we, we talked about. Uh, some Cleveland players uh, that we think, you know, who is the greatest Cleveland player who's not in the Hall of Fame, a guy who spent a, a large portion of his career or or had a significant impact uh, in his career uh, on, uh, you know, a, a Cleveland roster. Uh, and, you know, there there were a couple of names apparently that we missed. Uh, one of our uh, readers, uh, or I'm sorry, one of our listeners, 
uh, Jack Quinn uh, reached out uh, via social media and said, hey, what about uh, Oral Hershiser? What about Dennis Martinez? What about Albert Bell? Uh, these are guys who are, if you look at their careers uh, in, in, in different, you know, through different lenses, uh, they should be considered by, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, per, perhaps an era committee uh, as well. Um, let's start with Oral Hershiser. Uh, you know, just the, I don't think anybody can argue in what he did with the, uh, the Dodgers was significant. Uh, you know, you go back to his, uh, his scoreless inning streak. Uh, he won a world series with the Dodgers. Uh, but then he comes to Cleveland and in the, the mid nineties and, you know, he, he sort of has a renaissance, uh, in his career as well and, and, and leads that team to the world series as well. Yeah. The bulldog and one of my favorites, uh, and had a really interesting, a good career, solid career, Joe, maybe great career, but he only lasts two years on the ballot. Uh, he received 11.2% of the vote in 2006. Then he dropped off in 2007 with only 4.4% of the vote. Oh. This, this is a guy that went to, you know, won 204 games in his career and was maybe one of the best postseason pitchers in the, in the history of baseball. He went eight and three, 2.59 in 22 uh, postseason games, including 18 starts. And like you said, Joe, in, um, in in his in Cleve with Cleveland when they reached the World Series in uh, uh, nineteen uh, I mean uh, what nineteen ninety five yeah right. he goes four and one in the postseason and he wins he's the ALCS MVP by going two and zero oh with a one point two nine ERA so this is the Bulldog uh, deserves some consideration in one of those era committees yeah and and he was a guy who had a surgical approach to pitching he was very uh, very cerebral, and I, I think a lot of people respect that about him as well. Uh, you know, I, as far as uh, my interactions with him, uh, I, I was researching that story about the uh, the home run that Mark McGuire hit off of him <laughs> uh, uh, that that hit the Budweiser sign on the scoreboard at, at Jacobs Field, and uh, he didn't want to comment on it. Could you imagine, uh, you know, not wanting to comment about about the longest home run somebody's ever hit in your, in your entire life? Um, so, so yeah, I, I can, I can understand the competitiveness there. That's, uh, I, I can respect that. So, uh, yeah, uh, Oral Hershiser, definitely a, a former Cleveland guy who, uh, who deserves hall of fame consideration. Uh, Dennis Martinez, uh, another guy who, you know, was, was a significant contributor on those nineties, uh, uh, Indians teams. And I, I think, uh, you know, just the, the, the overall, uh, package of his work, I think, is something to consider. You know, he's he's one of only the uh, very few uh, pitchers to ever throw a perfect game, and and that's uh, you know, that's not something that you get elected to the Hall of Fame on by yourself. But you know, certainly uh, his longevity in the game uh, should should uh, definitely matter as well. Yeah, pitched 23 years, Joe, in the big leagues, had a 48.7 WAR, won 245 games. Uh, 3.70 ERA, like you said, through the perfect game on July 28, 1991, um, was in his time in three years with Cleveland. You know, this is when he was, you know, kind of on the backside of his career, but still knew how to pitch. Very crafty. He went 32 and 17 with a 3.58 ERA. Um, you know, he made his made his name in Baltimore and Montreal. 
108 and 93 with the Orioles, 172 with Montreal, four-time All-Star, and he was on the ballot for just one year, Joe. He was a one-and-done. In 2004, he got 3.2% of the vote. At 245 wins, and you were on the on the ballot for one year. That's that's insane to me. That that doesn't make any sense. But you know, uh, certainly uh, an era committee could could definitely consider him and, and look at him. Uh, another guy that's been considered by an era committee uh, and and you know was a, was a finalist uh, recently. Uh, Albert Bell uh, during the the prime stretch of his career. One of the most terrifying hitters in uh, in all of baseball. Uh, talk about a guy who you know kept receipts. I guess is the uh, uh, the popular nomenclature nowadays. This is a guy who kept a notebook and and of every at bat against every pitcher, and he knew you know exactly how they tried to get him out. Uh, this was a this was a dangerous dangerous guy on the field. He was dangerous off the field too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Albert, Albert, uh, uh, 40.1 war in 1995, Joey had the best season I've ever seen a hitter have. He had 317, 52 doubles, 50 home runs, 126 RBIs. The guy had a 690 slugging percentage, um, just, uh, um, uh, 295 lifetime hitter, 380, one home runs, 1,239 RBIs, 144 OPS plus, 933 OPS, uh, played 12 years, uh, five all-star games, five five silver sluggers. He was uh, uh, third in the AL MVP in 94, second in 95. He should have won it. That was highway robbery when it went to mm-hmm. Mo Vaughn, third in 1996. He was on the ballot for two years, Joe. In 06, he got 7.7% of the vote. 07, 3.5%, and he dropped off. But like you said, he's been on at least three three era committees, and he hasn't hasn't got a lot of traction. Did did decking Fernando Vina? Did uh, um, uh, the the uh, the bat incident? Uh, did did any of that um, uh, you know tarnish uh, his his reputation in the eyes of voters and, and make it so that, you know, the, uh, he played in the, the steroid era and there was no evidence that he ever took anything. And, you know, to still produce those numbers uh, ostensibly uh, and, and clean. I mean, that's, that's pretty remarkable. I, I, I gotta believe that, you know, the, the voters were, were just poisoned against him because of, you know, the package that he came in. Yeah. He did not make a lot of friends, you know, on and off the field, I think, um, you know, with with uh, the the media, with the uh, uh, with the baseball writers, you know, I think that held him back. Uh, he also, you know, his career, he played. Uh, I think he played 12 years, Joey, and you know, the hip problems, you know, cut his career short because he was still a dynamic hitter in his last year with Baltimore. But I thought if he could, if he could have played two or three more years, then no one could have you, you, he he would have had numbers you couldn't ignore and you had to put him in the Hall of Fame. But you know, Albert's personality uh, was not meant to be. Uh, he was he was not going to be make your interview. You know, he was not going to be <laughs> uh, every writer's favorite interview. And uh, you know, I think that may have hurt him and hurt him in, when it came to the balloting. 
Yeah, and it, it's it's terrible because you know as Cleveland fans, as you know, as as guys who follow the team as as closely as as some of us have, you know, you you want to see you want to have that that you know that guy that that gets in like that because it it sort of validates all of the the effort and the blood sweat and tears that you put in during those years. But uh, you know, it, it again, it's it's sort of like you you look at other guys on that team, Manny Ramirez, Omar Vizquel. Um, that 95 team, uh, they're, they're not going to get in. They're not going to get the recognition they deserve uh, as as well, I guess, uh, because of other circumstances. And uh, it, it's just hard because uh, for those of us who were around and, and following it back then, uh, it's it, it, you you really just want to see that that stamp of validation of of these guys getting into Cooperstown, uh, and and it might never happen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, all they can, you know, right now, you know, uh, well, well, Manny and, and Omar are still on the ballot, but, uh, Albert, uh, has to wait for uh, another go around on the era committee. You know, I think mm-hmm. someday people are going to look at him and look at what he did. He like everyone talks about, you know, players having a peak, you know, a peak, a peak run of seasons. He certainly had that. You know, he, mm-hmm. he he was he was a dominant hitter in the American League, you know, for six, seven, eight years. And usually that's enough to uh, get you into the Hall of Fame. So hopefully uh, one of these years, he you know, he he deserves, uh, you know, a closer look. And, uh, you know, hopefully the vote goes his way. All right. Speaking of the way the vote went, uh, Hoinsey's ballot. Uh, I know that you. You don't normally, uh, you know, uh, reveal your ballot or post it or anything like that. But uh, can we really quickly go through uh, who you voted for for this year and maybe give us a, an indication or an idea of who might uh, make the Hall of Fame uh, when the announcement is made later on today? Yeah, uh, I, I voted for 10 guys, Joe. Some some people don't vote for 10 guys. 10 guys are the limit you, you can vote for. Here's my 10. Carlos Beltran, Adrian Beltre. Todd Helton, Tory Hunter, Andrew Jones, Francisco Rodriguez, Omar Vizquel, Billy Wagner, Mark Burley, and Gary Sheffield. Uh, I, I noticed you voted for Tory Hunter. You voted for um, uh, Andrew Jones, uh, the you know uh, outstanding uh, outfielders, center fielders. Uh, any uh, any guys who just missed the cut or who were were hard to leave off your ballot. Yeah. Um, Joe Maurer was, was the toughest choice I had to make. And, uh, you know, judging by uh, the ballots on the, on the Hall of Fame tracker, uh, you know, I was in the minority on that and not picking Maurer. Uh, it looks like he's going to get in as a first ballot player, a first ballot, you know, uh, candidate. Um, I, I saw him a lot, Joe, and I think – if he had, I thought he did a lot as a catcher, but you know, the last four, five, six years of his career, he was a first baseman and he was an, an ordinary first baseman. He was a standout catcher. Perhaps I should have put more emphasis on that, but that was one of the reasons I, I did not vote for him. Uh, and, and, uh, you, you did vote for Omar. Uh, I guess, um, you know, this is a guy who, who we've seen throughout the years as, as probably the, the greatest defensive shortstop. Uh, at least that most of us have laid eyes on. Uh, just what was your take on on Omar as as a player, as a candidate? As a player, you know, 24 years, 
in, uh, in the big leagues, 11 gold gloves, 2,709 hits, um, scored, uh, you know, just played more games than anybody at, uh, at shortstop. He holds the record for games that, uh, at played at shortstop. Um, just, um, the best shortstop I've seen play. I know the off season are uh, the off the field, um, the off the field, uh, the lawsuits and and uh, spouse uh, accusations of spousal abuse, sexual harassment have killed his uh, his candidacy to get in the Hall of Fame by the writers. But uh, I, you know, I, I I I like the guy. I can't I cannot not vote for him. Uh, Gary Sheffield, another one, I believe, uh, that was, that was off your ballot as well. Uh, she- uh, you know, Sheffield, Sheffield, I, I was on my ballot. Was on. Okay. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I usually don't vote for, um, I usually don't vote for the steroid guys, but I, you know, I've read a lot on, on Sheffield. I don't think he was, um, you know, it, at least from what, what I can tell, I don't think he, he was, uh, you know, this was a one-time incident with him when he with the Balco stuff and uh, 500 home runs, uh, just you know eight eight seasons of 30 or more home runs, uh, 14 or 20 or more home runs, um, mm-hmm. you know nine-time All-Star. I just felt uh, this is last year on the ballot. Uh, I just uh, you know I just felt he deserved my vote. Yeah, and I think uh, a lot of uh, a lot of voters agree is he's he's right there at the cusp. It's going to be close to see uh, whether or not Sheffield makes it a a class of four or a class of five or you know you know more. If, uh, I don't think it's going to be any more than uh, uh, five because that's it's about all all over in the tra- tracking in that in that range. Uh, but we'll find out tonight, and uh, we'll have a, a conversation about it tomorrow here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. Hoinsey, uh loved hearing about your ballot. Loved hearing your uh, your thoughts on uh, Oral and, and uh, El Presidente and Albert. Um, and we'll uh, we'll circle back around and, and do more Hall of Fame talk tomorrow uh, here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. We'll catch up with you then. Good deal, Joe.